0: Good evening everyone, um, so Tom and I are going to be having a bit of a chat today, about, and I'm um, sorry I don't know if you got the team's message,
1: I didn't, no. that's
0: my bad, um, <laughs> we're going to be having a talk about um, mental health and burnout after both I guess having experiences with that, um, but before we start this verse has been on my heart today and I think yours too Tom, So I just wanted to read it. It's 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think that just really sets the tone of why we wanted to talk today, because even though we'll be sharing a lot of our weaknesses, in that God is so strong, and yeah, we hope that that will bless you today. So, Tom, it has been a year since you left for your due to burnout, Um, in your own words, why did you feel like you had to take that time?
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, Lydia is a law student, and her questions are forensic. So um, I am just anxious just listening to you. (laughs) So if you don't know me, my name is Tom, and uh, I am the vicar. And the reason that um, Lydia is going to interview me do I need a lawyer, do I need, uh, is this just re- been recorded, isn't it, for the benefit of the tape, um, is that Tuesday was World Mental Health Day, and Lydia and I have had a number of conversations around mental health, and around, particularly, I've talked about my own, and um, to this weekend a year ago, actually it was Thursday, was when I I knew that, at a particular moment I knew that I was not well and that I needed I needed to get sorted really I needed to get help and so that's why um, I ended up having three and a half months off work
0: and how would you describe that process of just knowing that taking a break was the right thing for you
1: I think the wheels fell off really, so um, i uh, there wasn't really any choice there wasn't really any alternative other than take time off and what had happened was is that um I think over a long period you know like you're driving a car and they have warning lights that come on and um we drive a German car, so it's very Germanic in its, uh, these lights come on, they're very officious. and I think I knew that lights, if you imagine in your mind is, you know, you've got your, your dashboard in your brain, doesn't make, make any sense, does it, but bear with me. I knew that lights were coming on, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll get round to it eventually, I'll just push through, I'll press through, and I'll be okay. And we've been away on holiday in the family. I've got, I'm married, I've got three kids, great kids and two dogs now. Always looking for dog walkers. Um, Been away on holiday, which is lovely. But I came back and I knew I was tired. And um, I I was delaying making decisions. In fact, I've really struggled to make decisions. Um, I was really in a place where I wasn't sleeping very well. So I'd wake up at four o'clock. Now, sometimes you guys don't even get home until four o'clock at night. I know how it is. <laughs> um, but I'd have like four, hour, four, four or five hours sleep. Um, and actually, the guy who, there's, we had a guy come speak this morning. He's a good friend of mine. And, he, and he, I remember him saying to me, um, I remember saying to me a couple of weeks before, he said, You are not okay. You need to get help. And he said, I'm going to tell you that as your friend. Um, and he says you're probably going to ignore me and I did to my peril really and I think actually the thing that I knew is I knew that I was losing confidence and that's been something I've wrestled with all my life really particularly in speaking which is tricky because I only worked one day a week and part of that day is I have to come up with a talk and it was getting more and more tricky and I was leaving it more and more last minute and then I would think well gosh I don't know what to say about this so I better Google what does John Mark Comer say and I'll rip off what he says and be a karaoke version of somebody else and all these things combined um, with being in a job uh, that was pretty new for me I've been the the vicar for um, two years two and a half, three years the church has a reputation, it's well known. All of those things began to come. was comparing myself to other people and my internal world was very noisy and very unhealthy. And this is a very long answer to your very precise question, isn't it? But um, it was a particular Thursday morning. I'd had a meeting with uh, not Apollo, Dave Luck had been part of that infamous meeting uh, on Zoom and um I knew it wasn't anything to do with Dave was but it was a particular thing we were talking about. And I just knew after, it's like something had, I can't describe, it's like something had snapped. And I woke up very early as I did. I was walking my dog along Ford Road. It was a beautiful sunny day and I just burst into tears and I never cry, I'm from the West Midlands, they, we just never cry, but I, I just burst into tears and all I, I couldn't describe what it was like, but it was terrible, and I just thought, I am falling apart. So I kind of got myself together, As much went home, took the kids to school, uh, and, that, and really just kind of stumbled through that day, had a couple of meetings um, and then went, I was a governor, I'm not anymore, but I was a governor at a local primary school. I was doing a meeting with a, a head teacher's review. And honestly, it was like I was in the room, but I just could not focus. I couldn't concentrate. I, it, it was just this out, almost out-of-body experience. Came out, went to pick up my son, a load of teenagers walked past me, and I just had a panic attack. Held the wall, um, picked up my son, got home, said to my wife, I'm not doing well. Uh, then emailed the church wardens and said, "I need some time out." Uh, emailed the bishop um, a year ago this weekend and that was it that was that was that was a time of thinking. I felt like I was done.
0: I think definitely I can relate to a lot of like your story um for those who don't know, I'm currently on a leave of absence from university, and um, so I do law with Spanish law, but just Easter gone, I decided to take um, a leave of absence because I felt the same, like something snapped. I couldn't make decisions or process any information in my course, never mind when people were trying to talk to me, Um, and I just realized I wasn't really coping. Um, And that brought a lot of guilt. I think we've spoken about that quite a bit um, because I realized that a lot of my life revolved around being a student and I couldn't do that anymore. And all of a sudden I had all this time and what do I do with it? <laughs> um, so Heather was like, why don't you come to prayers? So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll come to prayers. And so I came to prayers. Um, and here you are. And here I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think one of the first questions I ever asked you was relating to the Bible. And I think it was during prayers, really. Um, because I was so burnt out, I couldn't read. Um, or process any information so I couldn't read the Bible and as a Christian in crisis you feel like you're supposed to turn to the word of God and I practically couldn't do that and so I remember speaking to you about this um, and just asking your advice really as to someone in a similar situation what would you say to them if they felt like they were in a moment of crisis and they didn't know where to turn to, especially in terms of the word of God?
1: I think I, that's, I mean, I re, yeah, we, we had that question. Uh, we had the question, com- we had that conversation, didn't we? You asked me that question. I think that um, for me, I, my brain was fried, and I think that that's a medical term. And uh, I'm, not a medic, I'm not a mental health professional, as you can tell by my answers. Uh, neither am I. My, I'm a medic. Um, but said, I did learn that what happens is when you, you burn out. I think um, in, the very, in, the, in my parents' generation would have probably called it like a nervous breakdown or something, although that isn't medically accurate, people tell me. But essentially, you're, you run out of serotonin. And serotonin is something that the body creates naturally when we rest and we rejuvenate. And if we don't do that because we're always working, or when our if we don't really rest, or we're always, you know, rinsing Netflix or whatever it might be, we are constantly stimulated. Then, then we don't create serotonin. So it means that we live off adrenaline, and that's when that, that's the danger zone. So I think for me, it meant uh, concentrating, reading. Making decisions was all very, very difficult. So when it came to things like, um, I, I discovered what I mean. I, I, my, I'm dyslexic anyway, so, so for me, listening to things is really important. So, so I I listened to the I could I listened to the, to scripture. I, I began to listen to stuff because I couldn't really. I found it so hard to to read.
0: And you've mentioned like the idea of rest there. Um, at the beginning of recovery I found it really boring and, and really frustrating and because you go from doing so much to not being able to function or do anything at all and I, I remember I'd like constantly ask and I think I asked you at one point like when would I be able to human again when would I be able to function and live normally and so just with that I, like context in mind what does recovery look like for you and what was helpful
1: that's a great question. Um, <laughs> um, I think... Um, your question is, what does recovery look like?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think recovery only begins when you, you, you admit to yourself and to others that you, you have a problem. And you have, you have to accept it. And I think I didn't for probably the first six weeks of being off. So essentially, I went from um, cancelling, going to a conference, suddenly Sundays, having nothing to do, which sounds awesome, but it's really weird because this this is my calling, it's my place of work, it's where I get to connect with people, and all of a sudden, it's like, what do I do? So I, I went for a run. Um, and prayed I wouldn't see anybody from church, partly because really, I'm not very good at running. So the, I don't see people I don't see people see me running. But, but, but I needed to do something because I thought, well, what do I do? Um, I, I wasn't going to watch Songs of Praise, you know what I mean? Or I couldn't even watch it online because the, 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 was, I was just so anxious. So that was really, really, really weird. And then the other thing that I did is, is that I was just unbelievably angry. It was it, I, all of this stuff came out because what would kept me going was l- living off adrenaline, uh, and actually adrenaline it, thats that's, that, thats you're you're in the red zone. That's like the danger, but I just pressing through. So all of a sudden, I didn't have anything to do. Well, it was like the wheels fell off, and so for me that meant um, there was a because st- people. You know, we sent an email out to church and said, "Oh, you know, he's, he's taking time off. And, and then kind – I remember there was a lovely lady from church. We got a big, long drive up to our house. And I heard a car coming up the drive, and I freaked out. I hid um, because I didn't know who it was. And I thought, I can't cope seeing somebody, having a conversation. And then people would come around the house, and I didn't know when. They'd just ring the doorbell. And I didn't know when they were coming. And so for me, the wheels, the wheels fell off quite spectacularly uh, because I'd lived off adrenaline for so long. So I couldn't do a lot. So I could take my kids to school. I used to wear a disguise. Well, I say like a disguise. I wore a hat. I mean, it sounds more dramatic than a disguise. But, but um, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to have a conversation. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Um, I didn't want anybody, anybody to see me like this. So I'd take my kids to school. I'd walk my dog for... Miles uh, and then I dug a pond because I've got a garden and that's what I so I, that's what I, but I needed to do physical work moving a lot of rocks gave myself a hernia in the process, but I needed to do something physical um, because I need I was just not in a place to do anything else at all and I think it was it was so difficult that i I thought I want to get well, I want to be healthy. like my I want to sort out my internal world. Um, so it was a decision to it, was, it really was a decision actually, because I think, you know I'm 44, I know I don't look it. I'm 44, I've got three kids, I'm married, I have a job. Um, I thought I, I, I kind of thought I, I want to get well for them, uh, and, but I want to get well for me. I want to be who it is God's called me to be. That will require me to go, the recovery process is going to be long and it's probably going to be very painful. But I thought, I want to do this. I want to go on that journey.
0: I think that's really important. And I think we've spoken about this before, but the idea of guilt in needing to do that, knowing that you needed to go through a recovery process, I think that was a really potent thing for me especially um, faith in the midst of a mental health crisis because I personally felt like I was misrepresenting Christ and Christianity because how could I tell people, and especially my non-Christian friends, that God is so amazing and being a Christian is so great when I literally look like a mess and I'm in (laughs) tears. Um, So yeah, so how did you, I guess, face the challenges of the stigma of mental health or or I don't know if
1: I I don't well yeah I don't know if I face I don't know if I did it very well but I it's terrible it's really awful Uh, there is still a massive mental uh, um I can remember my parents bless my dad is 79 my mom is 73 so they are of the older generation God bless them, and I remember telling them. I actually, I drove to Birmingham. Um, actually, not Birmingham, Warsaw, but nowhere now in those But I thought I need to go see them. I need to go and tell them. Um, and my mom was once she she was relieved to know that my one of my family hadn't died. <laughs> um, but we just didn't talk about it. It was just like, oh, I'm taking some time off. She's like, are you stressed? I was like, well, not really. No, she. And we just, we just, it's like. We just didn't go there, and I think there's a couple of things. One, I felt very guilty because I'm a I'm a believer in Jesus, and therefore we should have no problems, right? Or if we do have problems, it's other people who have. Oh, we have problems back in like 1995, but um, I felt hugely guilty actually. And I and I, gen, I mean, there was I, I mean, I genuinely thought, am I ever going to be able to do this job? Am I going to go back to, to work because? Um, and that's a bit of a, I mean, my, I get a house with the job. So it was a bit like, what, what am I going to do? <laughs> do you, know, you know what I mean? Like, what, am I gonna, what if, this, if I can't go back? Where, where do you go? I know God's got it. I know oh, the Lord's got a plan. But at the time, it don't feel like that. So um, I felt very guilty. I felt, that really came to a head when I phoned the GP. And I described the situation. And he said, what do you do for a living? And everything in me wanted to say, I work for a charity, which is technically on a legality true, um, but I didn't want to say I'm a vicar because I thought, I shouldn't, be, I, shouldn't be, this, I shouldn't be like this. This should not be happening to me. I must have done something wrong. And that was, even saying I'm a vicar, um, I felt a real deep sense of shame, actually. I felt very guilty. And that was part of the unpicking that later, um, I think God, God dealt with fear of man, the Bible calls it. But at the time, I felt like, I think I felt guilty. I felt like I was letting people down. Like Luke had moved to Sheffield um, to be my curate. Well, I wasn't here. He'd moved up from London. Joe Ovenden, they guys came back from Uganda. Joe joined the team in September. And in October, whew, I've. I've cleared off, and I know in leadership people give you trust, and I felt, I felt, I've, I thought, I've let a lot of people down, and all of that stuff because I wasn't well, I wasn't functioning. All of that started to crowd my mind, and the stigma around mental health is, I think some, I don't know if I can say this, but I'm going to say anyway. I think sometimes the church is the hardest place sometimes when you are wrestling with mental health because um, it's often the recovery slow. And when we don't see an instant, boom, success, you're not healed, then what do you do? And I think that's, that's, that's complex. That's, that's, I had to really work through that sense of guilt and shame.
0: Can you hear Okay. I think in our conversations, you've often um, expressed that sense of stigma, especially related to medication. Do, yep. do you just want to expand on that a bit?
1: Yeah, so I, I, I went to see the doctor, I, uh, I saw the GP, and um, I had, I, never, I mean, even just trying to get through, as if, if you're a doctor here, your GP, I mean, it's hard to get older, you gang, it really is. and um, it, particularly if you're very unwell, if you're not number eight in the queue, and um, getting to see the doctor, well, I actually couldn't get to see the doctor, I had to talk, to, talk over the phone, and um, they said, well, what about medication? And I felt, no, because it, it, I felt, well, I just couldn't, I just thought, if I, accept, the, taking medication for me was the final straw. It was like, you cannot fix this yourself. And I think there was part of me thought, well, I'll take some time off, I'll get better, I'll take two weeks off, and then I'll come back, ta-da, and I'll be fine. The problem was, as I started to take the time off, I (laughs) realised it fell apart. And so I went to see a friend of mine who's a pastor over in Hull, and his wife's a psychologist, and i picked up some medication, actually, some sertraline. It was in the car. And that replaces your serotonin, I think, but doctors will explain better than me. And I and I said, I don't want to take it. And she really challenged me and she was like, she said, and actually somebody else had said as well, you need to address your body chemistry before you begin to address the other things. And so I started to take it. And the side effects were horrendous. I'll be absolutely honest, they were terrible. I got these terrible tremors. So um, I'd be having breakfast with the kids and I'd be shaking and I got terrible, terrible anxiety. It was brutal. It was really, that was the lowest point because I couldn't sleep at night and I was literally shivering and shaking in my bed um, and that was very, very dark. That was a very dark place and the doctor said it would take six weeks <laughs> before you start to get better um, and he was, he was right and, it, and I did but that Again, that was another thing that, you, that I had to embrace, really.
0: In terms of that, we've often spoken about prayer a lot, I think, in the past. Um, because in my own journey, I felt really conflicted with prayer for healing. It actually scared me. Because what if someone prays for me to be healed and I'm not? And I, do I come back next Sunday and just pretend everything's fine and I'm fixed? Um, so, yeah, so what would you say your experience was in striking the balance between, I guess, waiting on God and knowing that you needed immediate help and support?
1: Oh man, you should be a lawyer. These are great questions. (laughs) Um, Look, theologically, I, I believe that as a believer in Jesus Christ, we will all be healed. And some of us that will be when we get to glory and we get a resurrection body, I will have a full head of hair. Um, and we're just starting to watch Reacher, on, and I'll have a body like that guy, whatever his name is. Um, uh, but sometimes God heals instantly. Uh, sometimes He does it in His own timing. And I think that our, and, and this could get me into hot water, but hey, we've started, so so let's go for it. Is that? Um, I do genuinely believe that God heals, for the record. I believe that God can raise people from the dead. I've not seen it, but I've heard it happens. And I've seen it in the scriptures. But I think that our type of church, I mean, you grew up in the Pentecostal church, so I grew up in more of a conservative kind of uh, evangelical thing. But um, we're often our biases towards events. So it's like, come to the front. Whoa, shit, you know, get up, get get, And I'm all up for that. Um but but we often neglect process, and we often neglect. We often look to the mountaintop experience, which is the conference or the, the big hype. But we often realise that if we read the scriptures, often it's the valley, the process, that God God brings about healing. So so for me, um, I realise the extent to which we are conditioned by culture, for instant stuff. So I get stressed if I'm like if I'm trying to get. Uh, you know, if if I get buffering on Netflix, I'm not flipping it, what's going on here, this is a disgrace, paying all this money for the internet, when I grew up in a time where we didn't have that, you know what I mean, you know, I say to my kids now, when I was your age, we only had four channels and then we had five, um, we, we live in this dead instant world, everything's got to be fast and God, for, for me, I would say, am I healthier now than a year ago? 100% but it's a year ago and it takes time and Sometimes we have to surrender. We, you know, I felt like I was going to God saying, God, I want you to heal me. I want you to saw me on, on, your, on my terms, actually. And, it, and actually, he flips it around. He's like, well, I do it on my terms. Will, will, you, will you agree to that? And so do I think God heals? Do I think God, nothing is wasted in the kingdom. I absolutely believe that. Moses had 40 years. <laughs> Can you imagine 40 years? If I, if I buy something off a very large multinational company or website and it doesn't come the next day, I'm really annoyed because I wanted it the next day. Can you imagine 40 years? God takes his time. He doesn't rush. And um, so, yes, God heals. Yes, he does. But it's in his own time and it's sometimes painfully slow because he's thorough. So that doesn't really answer your question, does it? But I think, I think that we... We place too much emphasis. What? No, let me rephrase that. There is a danger that we, we overestimate or overemphasize the event, but we underestimate the journey.
0: And often with, when referring to the journey, you speak a lot about the valley. Yep. Um, I think in my lowest moments, I felt like God had left me in the valley. Um, and I'd often feel too anxious or too numb to really sense the presence of God. So I'd come to a service, I remember we had one on joy, I didn't feel any joy. (laughs) (laughs) I left early because I remember, like, everyone was just so happy and everyone was just really... Oh, happy
1: Christians. There's nothing worse, is there? There's (laughs) nothing worse than happy Christians. Oh, dear. Avoid them, avoid them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Everyone was really basking in the presence of God and I I couldn't feel anything. Um, So what would your advice, or what's your experience on faith when you can't rely on your feelings?
1: Well, you've, you've, kind of, you've answered your own thing there, mate, to be <laughs> honest, haven't you? I think um, faith and feelings are different. And um, when I first went off, I, I found charismatic, uh, which, which I love. I mean, this is, this is my bread and butter, you know what I mean? And, of course, Sam Watson's amazing because he plays songs from my youth. So I feel it's, it's like, you know, back to the 90s all the time, and it's great. Um, but I think... Um, Sometimes God takes us deeper, and that means that for a season we, do you know, I I, I don't know how to articulate this, but I think that as we go, as as we walk closer with the Lord, we we realize how much of it is often on our own terms. And I think God takes us on a season where we go through dry places and he feels distant. He never is, he just, it's like we're learning. so, So like, I've been married for 19 years, I don't send my wife love letters like I did when I was... Because we didn't have mobile phones then, we're that old. Um, It it matures in time. And I think in the same way with, with God, I went through a season where I found charismatic music very difficult. So I ended up listening to choral music sorry about that folks um i, I really relish the liturgy i'm an anglican and i really found i'm sorry i feel like I should apologize for that. i don't know why I got, but but i i because the great thing about liturgies it's written and you say it you don't have to feel it you say it and i began to see and there's great beauty So the reason that old churches and cathedrals are so beautiful is they they point to holiness that's the they were often built in if they're picking slums and things like that, they were very much beautiful inside because they they pointed to something else and I think for me listening to choral music or music was a lot more reflective a lot more contemplative was a side of my, my personality that I had never really exercised or discovered or really developed and so I need I began to do that and that was a way in which I would say Lord I I i Lord, we're on speaking terms, but you feel a bit quiet. But you know, I also know you're here, and I'm, I had a spirit. I started to meet with a spiritual director, and that's a, basically a wise old person who has been through the mill. This lady's daughter had been a heroin addict. She'd been a very successful head teacher, but her daughter, terrible life. And I, as soon as she told me that, I thought, I want to be with this lady because, like, you love Jesus and you've been through the fire. How is that? And she's taught me just to say every morning, because I've really struggled to do this. Certainly, if, was just sit, I'd get up and she's like, sit in your favourite chair. And she said, just sit and you, you're in the, and just accept you're in the presence of God. You just sit there, and because I could be, oh shit! I look like? because I, I, look like I got Tourette's. If you see me praying, I mean, I'm walking around, whoa, whoa giving it large. But there's just something about close my eyes and sit there and, and just say, Lord, you're here, and I, I don't. I feel terrible, but you're here, and if you're here, it's gonna be all right. And that's what that's the that's the place I had to get to. Really, was to say, God. It doesn't matter about anything else, you're, you're here. And I think you only encounter that depth when you're really broken. And I was. And, he, and, he, and I think I discovered in that place, at your lowest point, he's there. And I think you begin, for me, you begin to read scripture and you realise, and theologians have talked about this as well, but... but you encounter God in a new and profound way. So for me, the desert and the valley became something beautiful because there is only one... I don't want to preach now, but I can feel a preacher coming on. But there's, um, there's only one who knows what it's like to experience that level of pain. And, it's, and, and all of a sudden, the thing that I felt had separated me from Jesus, um, like pain or my own frustration suddenly, my brokenness, suddenly I thought, wow, not only is he here, but he knows. And so it, 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 what be, there's a beautiful bit at the end of Genesis where Joseph says to his brothers, what the enemy intended for evil, God turned it for good. And for me, that became a place of such beautiful... I, I kind of say, actually, I talked to Luke about this, earlier. when I first went off, if I woke up early, I used to watch Top Boy. <laughs> well, that's not great for the anxiety, is it? I do not see it flipping there. And, and by the end of it, I would started watching, I, I rinsed The Chosen. And that kind of tracked my spiritual journey. <laughs> started to watch The Chosen. But um, I just, I think I just found in the hardest places, in the deepest pits, when you've got, Nothing, and I was. Since Marie, I mean, there was a. Re- There's some very. There was. A- I mean, I, rem- I, 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 the, I. I thought this for a second. But I remember running down Manchester Road, and there was a lorry driving up, and I did just, just for a second, thought. What if? And they think of your kids, and you want. And I'm like, no, no, no. But just for a second, what if? And um, and then. In those, when you're that lost and that gone, you, my testimony is, don't give up, because He's there. He's in the midst of it.
0: I think you sharing your experiences there really reminds me of like one of the biggest questions that I ever asked you. I'm so sorry because I would just come out with these questions <laughs> so randomly. You had no, no great. preparation. Though I at can't all. answer them
1: at the time. All, do. You? <laughs>
0: Um, but it was, um, why does God give me joy if he won't let me keep it?
1: I remember when you asked that, and I thought, I just don't think I answered it very well. And then I felt really bad about it. Do, why does God, do you know, I think, um, yeah, I remember you ask, uh, asking me that question. I think that joy is, we come to a place where we realise that joy is present when we are our circ, the, the, the kind of the volume of our circumstances is outweighed by the presence of God. And it means that we can enter into a situation where you think. So, so let, let me answer that. I'm going to give you a really long answer, okay? Because I, I can say in 100 words what everybody else says in 10. okay? Um, part of the recovery for me was, was I came back to work and then every Wednesday I went to see a therapist. And that was painful and powerful in equal measure, okay? Because she did trauma-type therapy, which, meant we, which takes you back to things that have happened. For me, it was in my childhood, uh, particularly around school and education and things like that. And um, so what I'd walk there, it's so over on Ecke Road. Um, I would walk past a, a, cele- a celebrity who lives in Sheffield. I'd walk past it, hoping that one day I might meet him, Um, I never did, I think, um, but anyway, that's that's, that's another story, not relevant. And um, there was a particular thing that I knew there was stuff I needed to address, and so um, what it did, it was like, now I realise that for you guys this might make no sense, but it's an analogy, it's like when you, you go into your garden and you get a fork and you turn over the soil, so I've just done that with my little vegetable plot and turn the soil over, and I'll do that over the winter. And it was like, I, I always felt stupid. Now, I've been to three universities, but I felt stupid. And, and I, I, that, that re- really undermined a huge amount of confidence that I had. So I find speaking difficult. It's why I find sharing my... So Luke will often say to me, what's the vision for the next day? And it's part of me that has to do this internal aerobics, which is... You, you, you need to bring yourself and your ideas and you're not, it's not, you're not going back to primary school where you're, the teacher's getting the big red pen out. Because when I was at school, in primary school, there was a thick table. And, and that means the kids who weren't very smart sat on that table, and that was me. And I realized, I felt stupid, I didn't know why, and through this, pro, this journey of therapy, essentially we landed on the particular moment where that lie entered into my heart and took root. And what happened was, it, I can remember walking out of that therapy session, walking home, it was like I was walking like I was six foot five. I mean, I'm only five foot eight. But honestly, the level of freedom was unbelievable because I, I just thought, flipping Nora, I have lived under this lie for, I'm 44, so Matthews is my strong suit. So for 30, you know, for 30 odd years, 32 years, I've lived under this heavy lie. And for, to get there and to open it up and to expose it was joy. And I think that, that I realized, well, does God give us joy and then take it away? I don't think he does. But the joy of the Lord is our strength That's what Nehemiah tells us, or we read in Nehemiah. And I think that what happens is we begin to realize that God... God. So for me, it was like, I can't do this job here because I'm not like all the other great people that I know. I could give you a list of all the people that should be doing this job. But I had to come to a point where I was like, well, God's asked me to do it. And I was like, yeah, but God, you've got that wrong. And it's like, well, who's God here, (laughs) me or you? Okay, Lord. But I had to get to a place where I think, Lord, my joy... He's not bound in my circumstance. It's not bound in anything other than the grace of Jesus Christ, other than his love. And I also think that joy, I would say now I'm experiencing more joy than I did then, and joy comes over time. It doesn't always happen in the moment, and it's never based on circumstance. It's always based on him. And I think I let circumstance rob me of joy. So, like, we bought another dog. People said, what, are you crazy? And my wife said, we need to embrace joy. We need to embrace joy. And we love animals. We love dogs. And, um, and so we decided to embrace joy. We choose things. That, 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 in fact, that throughout the Jewish calendar, there are lots of amazing things in the Bible where they choose joy, celebrate joy. So we're more intentional about celebrating Um, we're embracing joy in those seasons
0: I think as well we've spoken about the difference between joy and happiness and I think that's been so important um because happiness can come and go like the wind but joy is something that only God can give you and even if you're not happy it doesn't mean you don't have joy and I think there's something like really powerful in that um so on the I guess, the idea of reflections. What do you feel like you've learned about yourself and God during this journey? <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> oh. I mean, I think I have learned that... Um, I, ex- I think I encountered the, 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 the massive levels of my own brokenness, and I think... I encountered my own uh, sin, I, could, I was confronted with all the rubbish, I was going to say another word, but there were all the other rubbish of, of life, and I, I think, I felt like in some sense I went on a journey where I had to go back into my, my, to my past and deal with, some, had to address some things, I think I've, I've had to learn to manage myself. So, that my self awareness has had to catch up pretty quick. And, like, for example, this, as it will for you, there will be a vulnerability hangover. And um, I will need this week, I'll need to be wise. Do you know what I mean? So, I'm aware of the things I need to, need to manage. I think I discovered more, and this sounds really cliche. And I think in church life, I get really annoyed when people reframe everything. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it, was, it was the best burnout I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> your best broken leg. Do you know what I mean? Um, it wasn't. It was terrible. It was awful, I, I, you know. But I think what I would say is uh, a lot of it confirmed my own experiences of me, if I'm honest, but I think also I, I also think that a lot of the stuff that in me that wasn't right, a lot of the unhealthy stuff in my soul—the drivenness, the wanting approval, the, the desire for affirmation, the desire for for somebody somewhere to pick me out and say, "You know, you're going to be..." The, all of the stuff I was seeking in the wrong places. That that's why I think Christian leaders can get to a real pickle. Um, you can get addicted to the power. You can get addicted to the affirmation. All of that stuff, I. I I just was confronted in my own heart. And so the Lord Jesus, in some senses, I think bit, there was a journey of confronting that. And I think I'm more comfortable in my own skin. I think my desire to control, and uh, like today, I had, my mate came today, to, to, and I was just thinking, I, I, about two minutes to 11, I was thinking, there's nobody here. Because everybody arrives about 10 past 11 in our church. And do you know, I thought, what's he going to think? Do you know what I mean? And I thought, well, that's not a very holy thought, is it? Do you know what I mean? And I think it's stuff like that where, where now I'm like, God, oh, Lord, I'm not, I don't want to be that person. I, I want to be free of that. Jesus, I am your child. You love me. You, th- you accept me. Your grace is, covers my life. What my mate thinks of how many people in here... Doesn't matter a rat's ass. And yet, that would, have, that would have really bothered me before. And I think it's stuff like that now that I think um, I'm, I'm not going to sound free of it because I've been an absolute lie. I think I'm better at spotting it and bringing it to Jesus than before. Yeah. I'd, have, I'd have gone on for ages then, do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? It
0: does. Do you think it's changed how you see God?
1: 100%. Yes. And I and I think do you know what what concerns me sometimes when I hear about the mental health conversations is that it, I think it can become people's identity. And I think it can become an idol almost. And I think that what God, you know, I, I read this really geeky theological book once about called the cruciformity or something. And um The reason that the Apostle Paul is so aware of his unbrokenness and fragility, but he deeply ties into the the death and resurrection of Jesus. So he identifies in the death the death of Jesus was brutal and terrible and awful, yet the resurrection changes everything. And so there is nothing that connects, we connect with, there's nothing that can happen, that we can get to the lowest place, folks, and you realize GPs are amazing, doctors are amazing. Absolutely right, we do all those things. But in that moment, you realize there is one voice that is the most profound. There is one, I'm in preaching mode now, I'm so sorry. There is one voice that matters more than the rest. And it's his voice. And I would say, I, I love him more now because I met him in the pit. And in the pit, he's there. And culture may tell you otherwise, but he's there. and you, there's, uh, There is a beautiful moment in C.S. Lewis book where I think it's Eustace or one of the characters and that he, he's, he's before Aslan and he's saying, why haven't you healed his mother? This is terrible. I've, I've totally forgotten it. But the point is he looks down and sees tears. Aslan's crying. And he sees that Aslan is moved by the suffering. And you realize that God, that God is not absent from suffering. And in fact, we saw that with the, old, the death of God movement before the First World War. You've got writers like Tolkien and Lewis began to say in the midst of the pain in the battle, God is there. And if God is there, God will bring about his purposes. He works for good. It takes time. Don't give up. And I think what I would want to say to, to a generation that is a lot younger than me, there are two things that I think we have to be aware of. We want things like a microwave in a moment. We want it now. And it doesn't work like that. It takes – I love gardening because it's seasonal. And it frustrates me because it's slow. So it takes time. And I think we get frustrated because God doesn't do done it in the timescale that we give him. He never does. And I think we, we equate the absence of pain in our lives with we, the presence of pain with his absence. And actually, he has scars in glory right now which demonstrate his love for us. And that if he's with us and he's for us, he will always bring us through it. That is my... That is my Story, I think, and I think that's what the Apostle Paul says, which is why he's able to say, "I delight in weakness, because when I'm weak, he's strong." And that's that's now me and the Lord are tighter now, because because he's because he's got it when I haven't.